Our scripture for tonight comes from the book of Deuteronomy, and it's the last chapter, chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. I'll read and you can follow along on the screen. Listen now for a word from the Lord. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea. The Negeb and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, This, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Now, Moses, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And the Israelites obeyed Joshua, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Set this down here. Have you ever really wanted something and just been told flat out no? I remember, uh, and the fact that I remember this story will probably tell you something. I remember when I was a kid, I think I was six years old. Uh, it was right after Thanksgiving had ended, and being a six-year-old, I was thinking ahead to Christmas and what it was that I wanted to get for Christmas that year. And there was this remote control car. All right, this thing was the coolest remote control car that you could possibly have as a six-year-old then. It had these big wheels and this thin body so you could run it into things. It would flip over. It would keep running. There was no right side up. This thing just went no matter what. You could, like, launch it off things. And I loved this thing, and I wanted it. I mean, I really wanted this remote control car. And I think I spent... That whole period between Thanksgiving and Christmas that year, just obsessing about this thing. And being a six-year-old, I did what I think any person that age would do. I dropped hints. I dropped lots and lots of hints. I would find ways at dinner to just casually insert into the conversation to mom and dad, you know, there's this really cool remote control car that would look awesome going up and down our driveway. Whenever a commercial for this thing came on, like the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon, I would sprint out of the room, and I'd find my parents wherever they were, and I'd drag them back and be like, that's what I want. They'd catch the tail end of the commercial. And as if that wasn't enough, I mean, I was on my best behavior for a month. I did my chores. I was nice to my brother, and 
if I'm being honest, I, I think I prayed for this thing a time or two. I really wanted this. And when Christmas morning came, I'd done all these things and I felt for sure, for sure, this was the day when I was going to get my remote control car. So I'm getting these presents and I'm unwrapping them and I'm, I'm watching as I open each gift. I'm seeing fewer and fewer wrapped presents for me under the tree and I see the writing on the wall. I didn't get the remote control car that year. I think I got a lot of cool things, but I really don't remember because I was so focused on this car. I mean, I'd asked for it. I had worked for it. But still, the answer I got that Christmas was no. I may have forgot about it within a day or two, stopped really worrying about it. But in that moment, on that morning, I was devastated. All I could hear was no. In this passage I just read, Moses hears no. And I can't be sure, but I think Moses probably felt a lot worse than I did that day. Because Moses had a lot more things at stake. If you remember, if you were here last week, Rebecca preached and introduced us to this character, Moses. She preached on this Exodus story. This story when Moses leads the Israelite people out of Egypt. And he comes to the Red Sea and he plants his staff and the wind blows and the sea parts. And he ushers all the Israelite people across the Red Sea to safety on the other side. And that's where we ended. And it kind of seemed like a good ending, right? They were safe. Pharaoh's army had not caught them. But in reality, between that story last week and the passage we just read, a lot's happened in those seven days since last Sunday. And in reality, it was almost the end of one bad dream for the Israelites and the beginning of another when they planted their feet on the other side of the sea. Because for 40 years after that moment, for 40 years, the Israelite people, led by Moses, wandered. They wandered through the wilderness. And this is not a wilderness that you or I might conjure up, uh, being East Coast-type people. You know, when I think wilderness, I think Appalachian Trail or something. I think, you know, vegetation. I think game. I think creeks and water. This was a wilderness that had none of that. This was a desert wilderness. This was not a wilderness you would really want to spend two days in, much less 40 years. There's no guarantee of food. There's no readily available water source. This was a wilderness that was not a pleasure trip. This was a hard, hard place to live in. And as a result, during those 40 years, there was a lot of struggle to remain faithful among the Israelite people. They had a really hard time trusting that there was something, that there was anything at the end of this tunnel in the wilderness. During those years, Israelite people uh, did not follow God's commands always. The Israelite people got mad at God. They got mad at Moses. Moses got mad at God. Moses got mad at the people. There was a lot of strife in these 40 years. And so we can imagine the relief when they arrive where we were today in this passage, where we are today in this passage. They're finally there. They're on the cusp of crossing over into the promised land, this land that they've been working for all of these years. This, this is the end of their tunnel, and they're finally there on the shores of the Jordan, ready to cross over into the promised land, a land that they can finally call their own, 
a land that they can settle in. And so God takes Moses up to the top of Mount Pisgah, and Moses looks over the land with those old, tired eyes. It says he's 120 years old. He had to have been pretty tired. I'm impressed he even got to the top of the mountain, to be honest with you. But he gets up there, and he looks across, and he can see the promised land. He can smell it, probably. He can just imagine what that first step onto that holy ground as he crosses the Jordan will feel like. He's finally there. But, but, but God says no. God says to Moses, you see the promised land, but no, you will not cross over. Moses, this is where your story ends. Moses, this is where you die, on this side of the Jordan. No. It's a hard thing to hear. And as I was was reflecting on this passage, I kept asking myself, why? Why would God tell Moses, this man who was far from perfect, Moses was not, you know, without fault in his life, but he was a faithful servant. Moses had followed God's call, and Moses had brought the people to this point. Moses had done his part. So why? Why does God deny this old man his life's work? And to be honest with you, the text doesn't really give a good answer to this question. And interestingly, Moses is actually denied three times entry into the promised land in Deuteronomy. In chapter 1, God says, Moses, you will not cross over. And the reason that is given in chapter 1 is because of their sin. And so we're left as readers to presume that God is denying Moses entry because of the sin of the Israelite people, because of the struggles and the disobedience that they had in those 40 years. And then in chapter 32, God denies Moses again, but this time he tells Moses he can't go over because he didn't quite follow God's instructions perfectly. There was this event in the wilderness when God tells Moses to tap the rock with his staff to draw water, and he doesn't do it quite, quite right. And so God is giving that as a reason why Moses is denied. And then in chapter 34, for our passage, where we read from today, there's no reason given at all. Just no. We hear the no, and then it says Moses died. We're left, really, to simply accept that at best there's an ambiguous reason why Moses is denied, and at worst there is no reason at all. Have you ever stood there? Have you ever stood where Moses stands in this passage? Have you ever stood in a place of limbo where you can see something that you have been working for, that you have been working for for a long time and that you feel like you deserve, and yet there's something, there's something standing between you and that, and you just can't quite get there? Have you ever been told no? Now, being told no is a part of our reality, of our everyday existence, of course. But there's some no's that just, they seem especially unjust. They seem especially unreasonable. They seem especially undeserved. Maybe you've been told, no, you can't be a part of this group because you are different. Maybe you've been told, no, you're just not the right fit for this job. 
Maybe you've been told, no, listen, I'm sorry, but unless you can come up with the money, you have to move out. Maybe you've been told, no, the test results are accurate. No. I don't really like to be told no. I don't think any of us like to be told no. Amen? Yeah? It's a hard thing. I don't enjoy those experiences. I don't enjoy them, especially when I feel like I deserve a yes. And then when it comes to my relationship with me and God, I really don't like those experiences when I feel like God could do something about it. Why isn't God just giving me what I want, what I deserve? But again, in this passage, we're told that the God of Moses, who is the same God as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, and who is the same God long after Moses, the God of John the Baptist and the God of Jesus, the God of today, we're told that God sometimes says no. Now, uh, Rebecca introduced or mentioned at the beginning that we're in the middle of this sermon series on tombs. And tombs are those places where we go when we die. Tombs are the end of our journeys here on earth. And for some of us, for some of us, I think being told no can be a tomb. Being told no when we are convinced that we deserve a yes can be a tomb. It can become this wall, a barrier in our lives that we simply cannot get over. It can be such a barrier that we feel our only option is to sit on the other side and despair because we just don't know what to do next. But the story of the end of Moses' life, the story that we've read, shows us that God's no is different. For me, God's no seems like that single beam of light that comes in through the crack at the entrance of the tomb. That beam of light that just pierces the darkness, that reminds us that there's life on the other side of that stone. You see, God's no is different. God's no is not a, you're not good enough, no. God's no is not a, good try, but better luck next time, kind of no. God's no is a listening no. God's no is a transforming no. God's no is a no that says, trust me, I brought you this far, and I'm going to keep walking with you. You see, God allows Moses to go up to the top of the mountain and to look over into the promised land. God lets Moses feel that invigorating breeze brush on his face as he looks across what he has worked so hard to attain. In this act, this act seems to say, Moses, Moses, this is what I've promised you. And this is what I promised your ancestors. This is what I've led you towards all these years. You cannot cross over, but trust. Trust in me. Trust in me that your life's work is complete. It is not in vain. Trust in me that your work will continue long, long after this moment. Just trust in me. Moses' experience that day asks us to trust. 
And as I say this, I know that in some ways, this is a really unsatisfying answer to hearing no. Those no's, especially those no's that are so real, that are so painful, that are just so unjust and seem so undeserved. Being told to trust just seems really unsatisfying. But at the same time, it strikes me that in the face of no's as absolute and as concrete as the one Moses hears that day on that mountain, it strikes me, what else are we to lean on in those moments than trust? With God, we can and we must trust that the no's in our lives are not in vain. That the no's in our lives uh, do not leave us in the tomb. To trust that through God, the reality of no is connected to a much larger yes. It's a yes that might not come in the form we expect it to or want it to. It's a yes that might not come today or tomorrow or in this life. But it does come. And with it comes new life. A friend of mine recently shared with me a story about a woman named Miss Johnny. And Miss Johnny lives in Purlington, Mississippi. Now, Purlington is in the deepest southwest corner of that state. And this woman, Miss Johnny, prayed every day for years and years. She prayed that God might give her a restaurant because she had gifts for cooking and for serving others. And she just prayed, God, just give me a restaurant. Let me serve others. Purlington was in the direct path of Hurricane Katrina. The eye of the storm actually passed directly over that town. The entire town was leveled. There was not a single building left standing. And so in the wake of that storm, many of us maybe have traveled to Mississippi or New Orleans to do work. In the wake of that storm, volunteers like those descended on Purlington in the masses And as they came down, Miss Johnny realized that these hundreds of volunteers were hungry each day. She realized that they were getting really hungry, especially around lunch as it was getting hotter and as they had been spending a few hours working. And so she and a few of her friends went into the basement of their church, the basement that had survived the hurricane, and they started preparing meals. And every day, they served lunch to hundreds of volunteers in Purlington. For months, even for years, they did this. And she told my friend in recounting this story, she said, You know, Rachel, I prayed all those years that God might give me a restaurant. I guess I should have been a little more specific. (laughs) But do you hear that? Trust in me. There's perhaps no better example of a person who embodied such trust than Martin Luther King Jr. And so it's probably no mistake that on the night before Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, he spoke to a crowd of sanitation workers and of civil rights leaders in Memphis because the sanitation workers were striking. And he spoke to them using this text, the text that we read tonight. And he told the crowd that night, he said, I've been to the mountaintop, and like anybody 
I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not too concerned about that now. Because God allowed me to go up to the mountain. God allowed me to look over. And I've seen the promised land. I might not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we, we as a people, will get to the promised land. Trust in me. Friends, we do. We do hear no in our lives an awful lot. So know this. Know that God hears us in those moments of despair. Know that even in the midst of disappointment, God is trustworthy. Know that the God of Moses fulfills promises and that the God of Moses does and will deliver us into the promised land. Amen.